The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 76, to the chief musician on stringed instruments, a psalm of Asaph, a song. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. In Salem also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. There he broke the arrows of the bow, the shield and sword of battle, Selah. You are more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. The stout-hearted were plundered. They have sunk into their sleep. And none of the mighty men have found the use of their hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and the horse were cast into a dead sleep. You yourself are to be feared, and who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? You caused judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still. When God arose to judgment to deliver all the oppressed of the earth, Selah. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. With the remainder of wrath, you shall gird yourself. Make vows to the Lord your God and pay them. Let all who are around him bring presents to him who ought to be feared. He shall cut off the spirit of princes. He is awesome to the kings of the earth. Okay, we are in Deuteronomy 26. We're going to finish this chapter today. Deuteronomy 26, 12 through 19. This is entitled, The Third Year, The Year of Tithing. When you have finished laying aside all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, and have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your gates and be filled, then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house, and also have given them to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandments which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten of any of it when in mourning, nor have I removed any of it for an unclean use, nor given any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the land which you have given us just as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey." This day the Lord your God commands you to observe these statutes and judgments. Therefore you shall be careful to observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. Today you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments, and his judgments, and that you will obey his voice. Also today the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people, just as he promised you that you should keep all his commandments and that he will set you high above the nations which he has made in praise, in name, and in honor, and that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God, just as he has spoken. Okay, I was given this piece of paper yesterday. It says, keep this 30, 60, and 100-fold spiritual, physical, and financial blessing chart in your Bible on Malachi 3, 10, and 11. Oral Roberts. Okay. This was found in somebody's Bible, and she thought she'd give it to me. 
And it, this is the chart I have faithfully followed since I first met Christ. Well, good for you. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown. 2 Corinthians 9, 10. And he gives all the people's income from 100 bucks all the way up to 2,000 and tells you how much to tithe. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse and prove me now if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to Israel, a nation, not individuals. Speaking to the nation. And then he goes on with this nonsense here. Um, if you ever get, expect a harvest, spiritual, physical, and financial blessings. If you ever get something like this, you know what you need to do with that? <laughs> Circular file. CRS? Church Revenue Service? Yes, Church Revenue Service, exactly. Okay, the passage before us details the final uses of the concept of the tithe to be found in the books of Moses. The first mention was in Genesis 14.20, where it says Avram gave Melchizedek a tithe of all. The passage prescribes nothing. It simply describes what occurred and nothing more. We're going to stop and we're going to have a little lesson on how to interpret the Bible. Does this describe or does it prescribe? If it describes, then it's not telling you to do anything. It's just telling you what happened. If it prescribes, then you are to do it, but you're to do it in the proper context. And that's the third of the five rules. So you have, is it descriptive? Is it prescriptive? And what is the context? The fourth rule is, what is the context. And the fifth rule is, what is the context? As long as you get those five rules right, you will be sound in your theology for the most part, okay? Genesis 14 describes what occurred and nothing more. Further, it must be noted one last time that there is no proper doctrine known as the law of first mention. If you didn't see the previous sermons, you should go back and watch them to understand what it is. But I'm just telling you now as a refresher if you did see those. The reason that term was made up, the law first mentioned, was certainly because some studious soul went to his pastor and said, why are we tithing as we are? We're a New Testament church and we're not bound to the law of Moses, are we? In a panic at being called out for his transgression of putting his New Testament congregation back under the law, thus being called a heretic, while at the same time not wanting to lose out on beating 10% out of his congregants every chance he could get, he immediately conjured up a non-existent law, the law of first mention, in order to justify continuing with tithing. In the same chapter of Genesis where Melchizedek is mentioned, Avram's nephew Lot was captured. It then says that Avram armed his servants and pursued and overtook Lot's captives, attacked them, and rescued Lot and all of his goods. If the law of first mention were true, we would then be obligated to do exactly the same for any relative of ours who found himself in a similar pickle. We would also be obligated to circumcise our male children on the eighth day of their lives, to have a party for a child on the day it was weaned, to slaughter a calf when strangers showed up at our door, to offer our virgin daughters in place of guests in our house if the guests were threatened with being raped, and so on. Each of these, 
and countless other precepts predate the law of Moses, and they could arguably be put on the exact same level as that descriptive passage about Avram giving a tithe to Melchizedek. The thinking is perverse, and it is unsound theology, all designed to impose upon people something that would then violate other precepts found in the New Testament, such as our text verse today, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Mandating tithing does not lead to cheerful givers. Trust me on this. For every cheerful tither, there are 1,000 more that cheat on the precept, ignore the precept, feel overwhelmed by the precept, are angry about the precept, and so on. If you are in a church where tithing is mandated, it is your responsibility to talk to the leadership and provide the proper instruction to correct this horrifying abuse of scripture that is pounded into the heads of people who are supposed to be free in Christ from the demands of the law and who are not to be duped into the false teaching known as the law of first mention. If your pastor holds to the law of first mention, ask him if he had his son circumcised on the eighth day, because only on the eighth day is it allowed. If he doesn't have a son, ask if he has preparations for his daughter to be wedded to her husband's brother if her husband dies. That is a precept that predates the law of Moses. If he doesn't have any children, there are plenty of other things you could ask if he is doing that are recorded in Genesis and early Exodus that he should be doing. It is unsound, it is hypocritical, and it should not be tolerated within the church. As for tithing under the law, we will briefly evaluate that one last time in our passage today. If a pastor is adamant in shoving his congregants back under the law to tithe, then he needs to abide by what the law says. We'll see if that is a tenable option for him today as well. Great things such as no tithing for New Testament believers are to be found in his superior word. And so let us turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I've got just two thoughts for you today. The first is the holiness. It is verses 12 through 15. Verse 12, when you have finished laying aside all the tithe of your increase, ki tekele laser et kalmasar techa, when you complete to tithe all tithe of your increase. Notice the lack of any article before the word tithe, all tithe. The use of the article has been precise and meticulous in all of the tithing verses found in the previous sections that dealt with this issue. If you remember, we went through that in detail. The tithe or tithe, it is setting things apart so that you don't make the error that so many scholars have made. Moses is instructing the people concerning tithes. It is a precept that was mandated for the people of Israel. Every year, the people of Israel were to set aside a tithe, a tenth of their increase. That was first noted within the law in Leviticus 27, where it said, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. In that verse, no article is used. And all tithe of the land. It is this that is holy to the Lord. Nothing was said of what should be done with it. It simply says that tithes were holy to the Lord. 
Numbers 18, 21 through 32, then details how tithes, the tithes which they offer up as a heave offering to the Lord, which is found in Numbers 18, 24, are to be apportioned to the Levites. And from that, a portion, meaning a tithe of the tithe, is to be given to the priests. The use of the article, or the lack of it, in each instance is expressive of what is to occur. Tithes are to be set aside as holy to the Lord. Those offered as a heave offering are to be given to the Levites. But Numbers does not say what is to happen to those that are not offered up as heave offerings to the Lord. That is only explained later in the book of Deuteronomy. It is in Deuteronomy 14, verses 22 through 29, that the disposition of those not offered up as a heave offering is noted. For a bit of comical relief, and as a poke at tithing pastors, we will journey there one last time to read that passage. Here we go, Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 27. You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. Every year, you make a tithe. And you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide the tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. But if the journey is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money. Take all of your harvest and exchange it for money. Take the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. And you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen, for sheep, for wine, or similar drink. For whatever your heart desires, you shall eat there before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. You shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part or inheritance with you. What that means is that you're to take the Levite down on any pilgrim feast and have him participate with you. He's imploring you to take care of the people that don't have their own income. It is clear and it is precise. Party time has arrived and the tithes are the means by which that will come about. The Lord provided the tithes, and it is his will that they be used to glorify him through rejoicing in his provision. With that stated, the chapter closed out with these words, again from Deuteronomy 14. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates, may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand, which you do. It is that final passage of Deuteronomy that I just read that Moses now readdresses one last time, hoping that in the dispensation of grace that was to come in Christ, Pastors would not make the galactically huge error of reimposing tithing on their congregation. But if they did, they would at least do it in accord with the law and not in accord with their own corrupt agenda. As he next says, verse 12 continues, in the third year. Bashana hashelishit, in the year the third. Now there is a distinction being made between the first two years and the third year. All ties are to be laid aside, but in the third year, there are specific provisions to be adhered to. It is this third year that is, verse 12 continues, the year of tithing. 
Almost all translations state it this way, and such a translation would cause a contradiction to occur. Every year is a year of tithing. That has already been made explicit. A tithe was to be set aside every year as holy to the Lord. The Hebrew says, Shanat ha ma'asur, year the tithe. The article is again expressive. This clause and the previous clause are in apposition, restating and explaining the other. The Greek translation adds in the words, the second tithe, which are not found in the Hebrew. This was certainly translated by Rabbi Reuben, who didn't want to lose out on milking his synagogue out of any of his desired portion. The word second cannot even be inferred in the Hebrew. Even Cambridge notes that, saying, a reading which even after the vocalic changes which it involves in the Hebrew results in an impossible construction. Rather, the text has been very clear with each stage of the development of the tithing guidelines. Of this tithe, the third year tithe, Moses next says words that are in accord with the words of Deuteronomy 14, repeating them to ensure clarity concerning the precept so that it is understood. Verse 12 going on, and have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. The thought is substantially repeated from Deuteronomy 14.29, saying, And the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates, Moses is taking care to make it understood that these people, who had no ability to otherwise take care of themselves, would be tended to according to the riches of the blessings of the Lord upon the people of Israel. They were in deprivation, and the year of the tithe was given, verse 12 continues, so that they may eat within your gates and be filled. Again, the words follow after verse 14, 29, where a blessing is included for the people when they observe the precept. There it says, may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand, which you do. In this, they will be observant of the command already set forth. And they are to then acknowledge that it is the reason for exactly that purpose. It is not a single purpose, as has already been defined, but for the purpose of the tithe in general, meaning all three years of the tithe. That cannot be misunderstood when the next verses are properly considered. As Moses first notes, verse 13, Then you shall say before the Lord your God. This would be at the pilgrim feasts. Verse 13 going on, I have removed the holy tithe from my house. Bi'arti hakodesh min habait. I have burnt away the holiness from the house. The word ba'ar is used. It is the same word used when speaking of purging away evil and purging away guilt. The tithe is holy, and thus it is to be considered as such. It would be evil to use it for non-holy purposes. The words from my house are clear. The tithes were to be kept there until they were to be dispensed with. Two years it was for a magnificent party in the presence of the Lord, and the third year it was to be transferred to the storehouses for the care of those to whom it was set apart for. The latter of those two uses is again stated by Moses. Verse 13 continues, And also have given them to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. It is the explicitly stated and now repeated mandate for the third year tithe. But it is not the whole mandate for the three years of tithes. This third year mandate is for the care of those to whom it is designated. With that understood, again, the proclamation of the Israelite continues with, verse 13 going on, according to all your commandments which you have commanded me. 
The translation is exactly correct. What is notable is that the commandments for the tithe are almost all given by Moses, and yet the acknowledgement to the Lord is that they are commands asher tzivitani, or which you, the Lord, have commanded me. It once again speaks of the process of divine inspiration. What Moses has put forth, in fact, is the revealed word of God. Verse 13 continues, I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. Lo avarti mi mitzvotecha. No have I passed over from your commandments. The word avar is closely associated with the word ivrim, or Hebrew. And this is certainly why Moses says this. A true Hebrew would not cross over the laws of the Lord, but would stay on the side of them that he belonged. He would remember them and not forget. With that stated, we come to the words of the next verse, which clearly and unambiguously reveal to us that there was not a second tithe and that the holy tithe mentioned here is the same as that referred to in Leviticus 27.30, the one tithe of Israel, which is said to be holy to the Lord. Now, if you haven't seen all of the tithing sermons that we've done as it's built up through Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you don't know what I'm talking about when I say a second tithe. But people don't want to give up on their 10%. They know what the law says, and so they say this is a second tithe when there is no second tithe. And that is now confirmed with the following words. The Israelite continues by saying, verse 14, I have not eaten any of it when in mourning. Lo akati peoni mi menu. No, I have eaten in my affliction from it. The very fact that Moses brings up eating the tithe in affliction, meaning mourning, means that at times the tithe was to be eaten by the individual. If it was not ever to be eaten, Moses would have simply said, I have not eaten any of it. What he is referring to is what it says in verse 14, 26. You shall eat there before the Lord your God and you shall rejoice. It is a command of the people of Israel to rejoice, you and your household. If you're eating in mourning, you are violating that command. And therefore, that's why this, is, this provision is now stated in Deuteronomy 26. They are commanded to rejoice in the presence of the Lord. This clause now acknowledges that the person has done so. If he were in mourning he would not be allowed to eat of the tithe. This is what is alluded to in Hosea chapter 9. They shall not offer wine offerings to the Lord, nor shall their sacrifices be pleasing to him. It shall be like bread of mourners to them. All who eat it shall be defiled, for their bread shall be for their own life. It shall not come into the house of the Lord. The bread of mourners is that of eating at a funeral. It is a time of loss and despondency. The tithe was not to be used for such a purpose because the tithe anticipates Jesus Christ. The tenth is the Lord's claim on the whole. To eat this holy portion in mourning would be equivalent to a Christian being in mourning over being saved. The thought would be confused. It would be contradictory and quite possibly Calvinist, but there is no place for it in the faith. Christ is the victor over death. In his presence is to be joy and rejoicing forevermore. Next he is to say, verse 14 continues, Nor have I removed any of it for an unclean use. And no, I have burnt it in unclean. It is the same verb just used in verse 13, ba'ar, to burn away. This is still referring to the person using his own ties in the first two years. An unclean person was not to enter the presence of the Lord. 
If he were unclean, according to Levitical law, he could not legally participate in the festivities where the tithes were consumed. Verse 14 continues, nor given any of it for the dead. It does not say the dead. It says, velo natati mi menu le met, and not I give from it to dead. This is not speaking of offering it to dead people, as some scholars claim. That would always be forbidden, and it is unnecessary to be stated here. Rather, it is referring to providing it for those who are in mourning for the dead, such as is seen in Jeremiah 16, where no article is used in the Hebrew before dead, despite the translation I'm now going to read you. Here's what it says. Both the great and the small shall die in this land. They shall not be buried. Neither shall men lament them, cut themselves, nor make themselves bald for them, nor shall men break bread in mourning for them, to comfort them for the dead. It should say for dead. Nor shall men give them the cup of consolation to drink for their father or their mother. The tithe is not symbolic of consolation for dead people. It is representative of Christ the victor over death, and of his claim upon those who come to him. The typology must be maintained. In all of this, the Israelite is to acknowledge, verse 14 continues, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all that you have commanded me. The tithe was to be used two years in a row at times of thanks, rejoicing, holiness, and purity in the presence of God. In the third year, it was to be presented to those to whom the Lord through Moses, designated. In obeying these rules, the Israelite could then be satisfied that he had met the commandments accordingly and could then petition the Lord for blessing. Verse 15, look down from your holy habitation. Hashkifa mi meon Look down from habitation your holy. Here is a new word, maon, or habitation. It signifies a dwelling place. It can refer to the dwelling place of the Lord, the home of a man, the den of an animal, and so on. The words of this clause are then explained by the next. Verse 15 continues, from heaven. Min hashemayim, from the heavens. The Lord is above, even if his tabernacle is among Israel, be it in Shiloh, Nov, Gibeon, or Jerusalem. He dwells in the heavens, and the request is for him to look down from there and notice the obedience of his people and to respond. Verse 15 going on, and bless your people Israel. The way the words are structured, it both unites the two objects while having one define the other. Ubarech et amecha et Yisrael. And bless, basically et means in the direction of, and bless in the direction of your people in the direction of Israel. Thus it is affirming that your people are in fact Israel. And more, verse 15 continues, and the land which you have given us. And in the direction of the ground which you have given to us. This is a specific request for blessing upon the ground, meaning the soil. In other words, you have blessed us with the produce of the ground. We have divided out the holy portion and we have handled the holy portion according to the instructions you have provided. As such, we ask that you bless the ground from which it came so that we can then repeat the process according to your goodness. Verse 15 continues, just as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. 
This is now the fourth of six times that this particular phrase is found in the book of Deuteronomy. The word here is different than the preceding clause. There it spoke of the ground, ha'adama. Here it speaks of the land, eretz, meaning the territory which comprises Israel's inheritance. The petition is for the ground to prosper in the land in which the Lord said that it would prosper. The Lord promised a land of blessing and abundance that has been received, and in their obedience to the word, it is petitioned for continued blessing from the land. With that, the long, detailed, and meticulous words concerning the ties of Israel come to a close. If you missed the previous sermons, which built up to this section, it would be worth your time to go back and watch each in order. So now you are fully versed on the matter. If you have a pastor, we'll call him Chintzy Chadwick, who pushes tithing, you are to tell him it is an Old Testament law of Moses precept. If he says, but tithing predates the law and thus falls under the law of first mention, you are instructed on how to correct his thinking. And if he still insists on tithing, then tell him that he must only expect 10% every third year, and you will think of him and toss him a bone while you are partying with your other two years of tithes. Or better, Find a church where grace is taught in all matters and forget those who pick and choose what they will and will not teach that is in accordance with proper doctrine. I'm going to tell you what, the Bible is way too precious to fool around with, especially when it comes to things like people's livelihoods. When you've got people that can't afford to pay their own bills and the church is saying you give 10% and you'll be blessed, it's a disgrace. It's an absolute disgrace. Those are the people that should be getting the third year tithe in Israel. These people, don't listen to people like that. I have no love at all in my heart for that type of doctrine. It is perverse, telling people that they owe you something when you should be taking care of them. I will rejoice in the Lord my God. I will bless his holy name at all times, giving thanks to him along life's path I trod, blessing him in my heart with songs and rhymes. I will offer my offering as is just and right, and I will do so without compulsion, but with joy in my heart. My hand will be open, not shut up tight. Praises and blessings and honor to him. And that is just the start. How the Lord has blessed my soul, and I shall forever be grateful to him for this. Towards him shall I all of my praises roll, and never a chance to praise him shall I miss. Our second thought today is his special people. It's verses 16 through 19. Verse 16 This day the Lord your God commands you to observe these statutes and judgments. The words are more precise, saying, These statutes, these, and the judgments. He has carefully set forth the two as being required, but being different things. As far as the term this day, Moses has used it numerous times already in Deuteronomy. Each speaks of the time frame of the giving out of the laws he set forth, not necessarily any single day. The words now sum up the body of law that has been given so far by him. A new flavor of words and a new direction in what is stated will come forth starting in chapter 27. And so what Moses says here serves as a closing thought to this section. In saying, this day the Lord commands you, it is not merely saying, okay, today the Lord is telling you to do these things. Rather, it is a way of saying, this is your law. Each day that you live under it, you are commanded to observe what is herein stated. Taken from the hearer's perspective, it isn't just, oh, Moses told us while we were by the Jordan to do these things. Rather, it is, Moses is telling us right now 
to do these things. This is why the prophets could speak of the law as right now when they spoke to Israel. And this is why Jesus spoke to the people in the exact same manner. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. The law was given, and it continued to be given from itself to the people. As such, verse 16 continues, Therefore you shall be careful to observe them. The words now refer back to the statutes, these, and the judgments of the previous clause. Moses says, And you shall keep, and you shall do. The statutes are to be kept, and the judgments are to be obeyed. But, as seen elsewhere, this is not just rote observance that Moses is calling for. There is to be both an appreciation of who gave them and a willingness to observe them because of who he is. As such, Israel is to keep and do them. Verse 16 going on, with all your heart and with all your soul. One can love in varying degrees. What the Lord calls for is to love him entirely, both with the intellect and reason and also with that which animates the person in his walk before the Lord. To be fully obedient to the law with one's intellect, meaning the heart, the heart in the Bible is the intellect, but without the soul, that which animates him, reveals a person who sees the law as a means to an end. I will obey the law as it is written, and it will be my means of salvation, even if I don't excel at it. I will just do what is necessary. To be obedient to the law with one's soul, that which animates the person in deed and action, but not with the heart, meaning the intellect, reveals a person filled with pride concerning his accomplishment of the law, even without any true regard for the Lord. His deeds are rote, observance, and legalistic. He crosses every I and dots every T. Wait, switch that. And because he is so good at doing it, he can look down on others. He is the Pharisee. A person who observes the law with the heart and the soul is a person who is both in love with the law and who desires to live out the law because of the one who gave him the law. Such a person, because he both wants to do the law and who aggressively tries to do the law, will also be the person who knows he fails in fulfilling the law. But in his knowledge of this, he knows that his efforts are not futile because the law provides for his failings. Think of David. He said in the Psalms, which is repeated by Paul in the New Testament, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin. How can he say that? He's a man under law, and if you're under law and you do something wrong, you must be imputed sin. Isn't that right? But the law gave them a provision. It's called the Day of Atonement. It's the sacrificial system. The Lord will not impute sin to the person who goes through the precepts of the law, which allow them to not be imputed sin. Otherwise, all sin would be imputed and all people would be condemned. Even in the Old Testament, there is no such thing as being saved by works. It is always by grace through faith. Verse 17, today you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God. The translation by the New King James Version is possible, but more likely the words are causative. Et Yehovah he emarta hayom liyot lecha le'elohim. Yehovah, you have caused to say today, to you, to be, to God. In other words, 
Today, you have caused Jehovah to say to you that he will be your God. This doesn't mean that they actually caused it, but by agreeing to the covenant, it has brought them into a legal standing with him to be their God. As a consequence of this, the obligation then rests on Israel to meet their obligations to him. Verse 17 continues, and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments, and his judgments, and that you will obey his voice. It more precisely reads in three successive thoughts. One, and to walk in his ways. Two, and to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments. And three, and to hear his voice. To walk in his ways is to emulate him. Therefore, you shall therefore be holy for I am holy. That's Leviticus 11.45. To keep his statutes, commandments, and judgments is to be obedient to him. For example, you shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen down along the road and hide yourself from them. You shall surely help him lift them up again. And to hear his voice is to hearken unto what he says. For example, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings and I will cause you to dwell in this place. That's Jeremiah 7, 3. Each aspect is a part of the expected whole. The covenant begins with Moses, but it does not end with him. Thus, the words here are wholly dependent on the coming of Messiah. The Lord has spoken the words wholly in the singular, you, Israel. Because of this, and because the word is new every day to the people, the words must be fulfilled every day. Any day that they are not so fulfilled is the failure of Israel to meet the demands of this verse, meaning they never, ever could, not ever. As such, the anticipation is the true Israel, Messiah, who would do what Israel is unable to do. That is more assuredly evidenced in the next words. Verse 18, also today the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people. Again, the words are causative. And Jehovah has caused you to say today to be to him to people possession. In the agreement of the covenant, the people are caused to agree to the Lord. We are your special possession. The word is segula. It signifies possession or property coming from an unused root meaning to shut up as in wealth. One would take something precious like treasure and shut it up and keep it close by. Thus, it variously is translated as peculiar treasure, possession, jewels, special possession, and so on. As far as the translation, the Lord caused you to say, it's not that the Lord actually made them say that, but in the offer of the covenant and in its acceptance, the statement is affirmed. This idea of being his possession was first promised way back in Exodus 19. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. It was then restated in Deuteronomy 7. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all peoples on the face of the earth. To get what is being said and it is complicated, you would need to go back and review the Deuteronomy 7 sermon. Israel is a holy people, even if they act in an unholy manner. God has set them apart as holy. That does not change, but they still must be holy, a state that is dependent on their actions. 
That is then seen in the next words. Verse 18 continues, just as he promised you that you should keep all his commandments. More precisely, according to which he spoke to you and to keep all his commandments. The covenant was made. Israel was caused to be his people, just as the Lord spoke to him, which is based on one, his declaration of them as a holy, meaning a set-apart people, and two, the keeping of the commandments. But Israel consistently failed to keep the commandments. Even to this day, they failed to do so. In order to be set apart as holy and to be actually holy, Israel must keep the commandments. But in failing to do so, there's a disconnect. That disconnect remained and it remains without Messiah. But in Messiah, that disconnect no longer exists. This is not because of their keeping of the commandments, but because of his. That final and glorious state is seen in the final verse of this chapter, verse 19, and that he will set you high above all nations which he has made. And he will set you uppermost above all the nations which he has made. It is not that Israel will be just above the nations, but at the very top of them. The word Moses uses, Elion, is used to describe the Lord God at times, El Elion, or God Most High. As this has never happened, it's never been fulfilled, then it is a messianic verse which anticipates what lies ahead, even now. Its fulfillment is prophesied by Isaiah. Here's what he says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. The fact that Christ has come and that he has called for himself a special people in the church does not negate a literal fulfillment of these prophecies of Isaiah. The promises are to Israel and they will be fulfilled. This is not for their sake, but for his toward them. Verse 19 continues, in praise, in name, and in honor. To praise, to name, to beauty. Jeremiah uses these same words, saying the following, For as the sash clings to the waist of a man, so I have caused the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to cling to me, says the Lord, that they may become my people for renown, for praise, and for glory. But they would not hear. The covenant was made. And the Lord bound Israel to it like a sash upon himself. But despite his efforts, they would not do exactly as is conveyed in these words of Deuteronomy. Thus, there's the need for something new, something better. In order to resolve this dilemma for them, Israel could not help but to fail. The infection of sin is way too deep in all of us. But the promises will be fulfilled, not through their effort, but through his. We can look back on this and know it now. But for them, even to this day, it is all about them. If you don't believe that, go to Israel and talk to them for a while. It's all about them. 
Verse 19 finishes with, and that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God, just as he has spoken. Jeremiah shows that Israel failed in this. Peter, speaking to the Jews who have come to Christ, cites a combination of the words of verses 18 and 19 in his first epistle, saying, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. Paul uses the same word in Ephesians 1.14 concerning the Gentiles who have been brought into the commonwealth of Israel. We have become a possession of the Lord through obedience to, meaning calling on, Christ. More directly, however, Paul uses the phrase in Titus chapter 2, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. These words of the New Testament clearly show that the church fills a special role, but it does not necessarily follow then that the church has replaced Israel. The church, those of Jews and Gentiles, are received as a people, but Israel, the nation, has been selected as a special people. The church has a mission to perform during this dispensation, but Israel still has the right to the prophecies which are spoken to her that will come to pass in their due time. The Gentile-led church is grafted into the commonwealth of Israel, but it does not replace the nation in the process. We simply share in the good that has been promised to them. When Israel as a nation calls out to Christ, that promised day will come and the words of these verses and of the prophets to come will come to pass. As far as when this will take place, that is at the Lord's discretion, and the matter belongs to him alone. But because the people have been rejoined with the land, that day is closer than probably most people realize. Those who understand the times in which we live can look to Israel and know that God has it all under control. Christ Jesus is the key to the entire scenario, both the current state of things, as well as the prophetic scenario that is waiting to be realized and to be unfolded in all of its fullness. The wonder and marvel of both sections of our verses today is that God is doing something wonderful in the world, reconciling man to himself through the offering of his son. The types, patterns, covenants, and promises are all based on this one thought. The glory of God in Christ is the glory of God above, in, and through creation. All of the glory of God that we can or ever will perceive is because of what he has done through him, meaning Jesus Christ. Praise be to God for Jesus Christ, our Lord. The simple gospel message is that Jesus Christ died for your sins. Jesus Christ was buried and Jesus Christ rose again. Can anybody tell me where tithing is included in that? You're not going to find it nor any of the other pet peeves that people shove into the gospel. You're in a church, you don't tithe, well, you can't be saved. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. The gospel is so simple that Paul calls it a stumbling block because it's something that you just trip right over. You don't realize how simple it is and it gets so convoluted by preachers all over the world. 
that start adding in things that you have to do. And if you don't do them, you're going to lose your salvation if you were saved at all. That's correct, and that's what Paul writes about in the New Testament. That's exactly right. That's right. That's exactly right. That's what Paul writes about in the New Testament. What are we to do with our giving? But that's not a part of the gospel. The gospel is based solely on what Jesus Christ did. He died for your sins. He was buried. He was raised. That's it. If you believe that message... The Bible says you will be saved, and it says that when you believe that message in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. It is a done deal. The Holy Spirit is called a guarantee. If God gave that to you and then he takes it back, that means that God, one, made a mistake, and two, that his guarantee is no good. And if his promises to Israel will not be fulfilled literally, then it means that your salvation is just as in question as how he treated this group of people. It will never happen. Understand that if you don't get what God is doing in Israel, that you should go back and start with Genesis 1-1 and watch all of the sermons we have done because people skip over things and they just they talk about tithing without going through all of the details. I'm telling you, there is a single word in the tithing verses that reveals everything to you. It's the word the and translations put that word the in where it doesn't belong, and then they take it out where it does belong, and all of a sudden you think that you have to tithe all the time. The Bible is a complicated, big book, and so that's why he gave us a very simple gospel. And all the rest of our life, we can go screwing up our own doctrine after we're saved, or we can pursue this word as closely as possible to the glory of God who gave it. And so let's do that. Let's stay close to this word, not abuse it, not allow it to be twisted in our presence. And my suggestion to you so that it doesn't happen is that you get up in the morning and you read it, that you think on it during the day, and that you read it again at night. Read this word and never stop reading this word because anybody can tell you anything. And your doctrine is not up to them. It's up to God. Get your doctrine straight and let the Lord guide you. Okay? I got a closing verse for you here from Zephaniah 3. It is verse 20. At that time, I will bring you back. Even at the time I gather you, for I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I return your captives. Guess who he's speaking to? Israel. Israel. Your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. Next week is Deuteronomy 27, 1 through 10. To build this is a lot of work, grunts and groans. It's entitled, An Altar of Stones. That'll be your 75th Deuteronomy sermon. And I'll tell you this, the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you, but he also has expectations of you as he prepares you for entrance into his land of promise. And so follow him and trust him, and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? All right, I got a poem, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper. But before I give you the poem, guess what they're doing at Publix this week? Two-for-one soups again. This is for your emergency supplies. They got two for one. Go and buy because you never know when this economy is going to collapse. So buy a little bit of soup. It never goes bad. And if you think, oh, I just don't want the same more, give it to somebody. Okay? You're not losing anything by stocking up on some, some canned foods. But that's what I recommend in this day and age. This is Campbell's Chunky Soup that eats like a meal. And guess what? It has 16 grams of protein per can. Unbelievable. This is creamy chicken and dumplings. If you get the question that I'm about to ask you, you will get this can of soup. And you can put it on your, your shelf in the kitchen, and if the economy collapses, it'll keep you going for 
A whole week, probably. Okay. <laughs> Here it is. When is the last time that tithing is mentioned in the Old Testament? Oh, man, I can only give this to one. I saw Lynn say it. I know, like, ten people said it once, but Lynn, I just happened to be looking at you, so you get this, okay? I'm sorry. I know a lot of people said Malachi. I heard it all at once. I showed you with Oral Roberts how to tithe in your church. Here it is. It says right there, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse and prove me now. Malachi 3.10. Very good. In a bad economy, you can split that among all the ten people. That's right. That's this. This will get a whole family going for a long time. That's right. Go to Publix and get some two for one soup. Put it on. It's not going to go bad. You know what? I I will t- tell you this because we're here, and I want everybody to know this: that they say that soup in cans doesn't ever really expire. They put an expiration date on there just for the sake of doing it. That's the U.S. government. But they say if a can is popped, okay, don't eat it. Or if it's dented, then it can, if you dented it, eat it right away and don't put it on your shelf. Just eat it that day or whatever. Don't let it sit. But if the can is like this, it's good. Okay, so there you go. My little advice for you. Okay, the third year, the year of tithing. When you have finished laying aside all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, so it is billed, and have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your gates and be filled, then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house as told to do and also have given them to the Levite, to the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow too. According to all your commandments which you have commanded me, I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them, as you can see. I have not eaten any of it when in mourning, nor have I removed any of it for an unclean use, nor given any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all that you have commanded me, just as you have said. Look down from your holy habitation, from heaven and bless your people Israel in the land which you have given us, just as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey, blessings and blessings and plus, plus, plus. This day the Lord your God commands you to observe these statutes and judgments, not in part, but in whole. Therefore you shall be careful to observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. Today you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God, and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes, such as been your choice, his commandments and his judgments, and that you will obey his voice. Also today the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people, just as he promised you, that you should keep all his commandments, so you are to do, and that he will set you high above the nations which he has made in praise, in name, and in honor, such shall be the token, and that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God, just as he has spoken. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true, and we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the lesson of the tithe because it's a lesson about your word, your gracious nature, your wanting to care for us, your people, and also to care for others who are also your people that have needs. Help us to be willing 
and cheerful givers to take care of the people in the world. We've got people in Uganda, we've got people in Kenya, we've got people in Papua New Guinea and Washington State and even here in Orlando and elsewhere around the world that are in need that this little church helps. And there are many, many other churches doing good things to help these people around the world, giving of their time and of their abilities to make sure that the message of Christ goes forth first, but that people are tended to in other ways as well. Help us to be responsible in that regard, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for this this lesson from your word, how precious it is to see how your word unfolds and it never contradicts itself. It always supports what was previously said. And after that, it will support what will be said because it's a perfect word that comes down from our perfect creator. How we love you and we praise you and may the day be soon when Jesus comes for us. We thank you, we exalt you, and we do so in his beautiful name. Amen.